Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast, episode 82, and a happy new year to you. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. A congratulations to James City for winning our Christmas quiz competition, a signed copy of Tim's book, Investing Through the Looking Glass, and Zach's book, 101 Charts for Trading Success, will be on its way to you. Well done once again. And thank you for everyone's entries. We really do appreciate it. This podcast episode was recorded on the 4th of December. This week's podcast guest is Ken Lewis. He's the CEO of Atmex Incorporated and OneGold. Welcome to the show, Ken. Appreciate it, buddy. So, Ken, you, you're involved in a business, One Gold. Is, is that your main main role? Well, I'm actually I'm CEO of Atmex. Um, yeah. a, lot of com- a lot of people might know who Atmex is. We're a physical precious metals dealer. We do about a billion dollars a year in volume, get over a million five customers. So we, we're really the largest physical precious metal dealer, uh, we believe, in the U.S. for sure and, and potentially the world. And then that company, Atmex, has spun off and created a new company called One Gold, which is our foray into the digital gold space, where you have the trust and reputation of an Atmex and Sprawl behind it. Um, so we're trying to create a new product line there for customers to kind of add more convenience. Right. Atmex is for physical, and One Gold is more for your kind of Bitcoin aficionado. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and again, I'm careful not to say crypto um, or, or Bitcoin because, uh, frankly, digital gold has a lot of conveniences that I can't do on the physical side. And what's great about it is it's backed by physical metal sitting in a vault, and you can take physical redemption anytime you want. So it's uh, frankly, it's more like a gold money if you're if you're familiar with gold money. Yeah, uh, it's an attempt at doing uh, making that process a lot easier for consumers and and be more transparent on pricing. And and frankly, when you can buy silver at five cents over spot and take a position in silver and know it's backed by physical, and then go out and do redemption anytime you want, it's a pretty good setup. Brought you to. You know, to this position in the in in the the, the precious metals market, How, what was your journey to get here? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good one. Uh, I'm actually an operations guy, so I the job prior to here, I ran twenty something warehouses for Home Depot. Uh, had about uh, twenty five hundred employees, a three hundred million dollar P and L. So I was more of an operations guy, and uh, at the time, Atmex was looking uh, to potentially go public. Uh, I was going to be brought in to lead all the operations side of the business. And uh, then over time, uh, we decided not to go public. The markets didn't really allow for that. And uh, over the last uh, eight years, I've just gradually taken on more responsibility. And about four years ago, I was named uh, CEO. So uh, more of an operations type background, large Fortune 500 companies. Um, and you know what's great about precious metals is is our space is really evolving in a big way in the last uh, five years. And and I've gotten to bring some experiences I've had outside of this industry with some kind of new perspectives, if you will, on how to to do things in this industry. And it's been very helpful. So you're trying to take the safety of gold and the convenience and uh, ability to be able to trade online in in the mm. way that you're able to do with, say, other products and and perhaps right. with, with, you know, cryptocurrency. So why wouldn't why wouldn't somebody just want to hold the physical coins as opposed to trade them in this way? Yeah, so I think I would be honest with you, we we again, I'm a physical dealer, I do way more volume on the physical side than I do the digital. Um, most customers who want to hold like you said physical, they just have a confidence knowing it's underneath their kind of lock and key that um, you know, they, they don't trust the markets. They're they like having kind of a side, if you will, investment. They think about inheritance and long-term planning that way. 
but the challenge with owning physical gold in your home, there's a couple of them. First and foremost, security, insurance. How do you make sure you're going to be protected in the case of an event? That's a concern for some people. Uh, the second thing is, it's, you know, if you, especially if you want to hold a position in silver, it can be cumbersome. It takes up a lot of space. Um, but probably the more important things is around cost. You know, ETFs have done very, very well in the market. And I, I would actually compare our digital product more to an ETF than I would a physical. And the reason why they've done so well is they're so convenient. You can 24-7 trade. You can trade at, at low spreads. Um, it's, it's very easy to do. Or physical, you know, you've got to buy it online. You got to wait for your shipment to arrive. If you want to sell it, you got to go to a coin shop or ship it back. It's just a little more cumbersome to um, to execute a, a trade than some of these digital offerings that are in the market today. But the problem, presumably, the main issue for um, skeptics, if you like, or cynics, is would be the amount of leverage um, in the system whereby I think these. This stat that I'm now about to massacre came from the Reserve Bank of India, but it was it was along the lines that the, the way the gold market works, for every um, for every ounce of gold that sort of is is floating around out there, there are something like a hundred ounces of claims on gold that that could could never be realised in the event of you know a sudden a sudden rush to to let's say claim your physical. I think that's, I think it's a great point, and, and that's where you know the GLDs of the world. Not to take any specific product, but you know these ETFs. There's a big question mark about whether the physical truly is there to um, to align Sat with to satisfy those claims. Yeah, and where where I would tell you what's beautiful about the digital offerings that we're coming out with, and um, and give you an example. We we have metal in two locations. One of them actually is at the Royal Canadian Mint up in Canada, mm. and um, we can't sell metal we don't own. We we have a process in place to where I have to procure the metal from the mint. Uh, actually, I buy it from banks, but it's the physical metal sitting at the mint, and uh, and I can't sell it. So consumers have title. Where when you go into an ETF, you don't have title. You don't have claims to that metal. Um, it's not as clean for you, and you have so many counterparty risks. In our case, on the digital front, when we when we go out and buy the metal, we're then selling fractional ownership, but you know the metal's there, and you know you have title, which so is critically, the, critically important. So in the jargon of the trade, the, 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 the metal that you guys are involved with is never rehypothecated. It's not allowed to be. Man. I mean, yeah. it's actually physically... In the case of our U.S. location, it's physically segregated. You can go into the vault and you can see the metal that is that is owned by the customers of One Gold. You and again, to use see. sorry to interrupt, and again to use the, the jargon, it, they, that's allocated gold then, as opposed to an allocator. That's yeah. exactly allocated gold. In the case of U.S., it's allocated, allocated, segregated. In the case of the Royal Canadian Mint, it's allocated, but not segregated. So it's a it's a little different. In the way we physically do it, but we have the government of Canada behind us in the case of the Royal Canadian Mint, so we feel very confident there's no risk there. But in the U.S., we want consumers to feel comfortable of it sitting in, you know, various vaults, uh, Brinks, Loomis, uh, Amex type type vaults. So what we do is we make sure that's always segregated and audited uh, twice a year just to have comfort that the metal's always there. And uh, and that's what I tell people when people talk tokens and crypto and and uh, and even ETFs, you got to ask yourself. How am I protected in the case of an event? Do I have title? Am I insured? Um, is the medical physically there? And we've done everything we can. And, and by the way, we partner with Sprott. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Sprott out of Canada, but uh, over 11 billion under management, they're a 25% investor in our digital offering. And um, we're both con you know, convinced that a digital offering is the way to go long-term. 
um, as, as our consumers start to, you know, younger generations start to get into metal, uh, you need to be able to offer that kind of convenience. You say you have government of Canada risk. That, that doesn't expose you to Justin Trudeau risk, though, does it? <laughs> well, he, he seems to have just broken apart a NATO meeting. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've heard about that, and uh, you know, I think what I would just say is physically, it's in it's in a it's in a, it's in the Royal Canadian Mint vaults. Uh, and I think we could all feel comfortable. Hopefully, the the Prime Minister is not going to play with that. But uh, I think points too funny. So, with regard to gold itself, why do you think people should be looking at it as a an investment or even as part of their portfolio? You know, it's funny. I, I take two angles on that, guys. First and foremost, I tell people go check the data. Um, I've got a, I got a, I actually presented recently at Stansberry Research, and I did a little presentation. Consumers are welcome to look for the video. Um, we try to be very pragmatic about it, and and one of the things I talk about is, you know, since the year two thousand, gold is the second best performing asset class in the market. Um, it's actually better than the S and P five hundred. We all get in love with what the S and P five hundred's done in the last, uh, you know, four or five years. But the reality, if you take a longer term horizon, twenty years, uh, gold's actually a better performer, which people don't generally think of. The second I mean, thing, to, to, sorry to, to interrupt. I mean, up to that point, you could actually say, um, viewing things in the round against all fiat currencies, you can you can probably tell the way the way I'm positioned myself in relation to gold. Um, but in relation to all fiat currencies. Forget the last twenty years. How about the last forever since since time? No, since since financial history existed, it, gold has outperformed every every paper instrument that's ever been thrown at it as a competitor. It's fun. It's funny you say that because one of the things I do in that presentation is I go back to the year I believe I go nineteen ninety, and I talk about um, one second here. I talk about uh, what inflation has done to the value to your value of the dollar, and and since nineteen ninety. You have $100 in cash, you have $52 is what it's worth today with inflation. Where gold, if you had $100 in 1990, you'd have $570 worth of asset. So, you know, a pretty dramatic difference, a 10 times type multiple. Uh, it made me have to think twice. Do I really want to hold dollars of any significant amount or should I put it into an investment that uh, ideally will hold its own over time? But the, the bigger problem now, uh, again, I'm kind of leading the witness, Your Honor, but the, the bigger problem now is surely that it's not just, we're not comparing gold just to, say, a pile of dollars in a safe. Realistically, we're comparing gold to dollars in a deposit or current account with a, a commercial bank that may or may not, I mean, I, I don't think the US banks are necessarily a, such a problem as they were back in 2008, but I mean... And I don't think you can say that of UK banks necessarily, but we're but we're we're speaking to you from London. We're looking over the channel and thinking what is happening to the European, well, the eurozone banking system. Basically, cash for most people is cash in the bank, not not physical cash. And it's really the banking system that's that's the weak link in this chain. No, I think it's a great point. Look, in the US, they're having to infuse cash into the banking systems because they're running out of it. I mean, it's it's a scary thought when you start to think about it. Um, so, you know, when you start thinking about counterparty risk, I was more thinking of the example of some people, you know, like to think about having assets off the grid. And typically metal in a home is an example of that. Well, I'm sure there's some people who have, I'm going to make something up here, 10 ounces of gold sitting in a safe and they might have 10 grand in cash sitting there. That's, a, in my opinion, you know, outside of a, an event, that's, that's a poor decision from how to how to allocate your assets. But I agree with you guys that, you know, to, to finish answering that earlier statement, why should people be in metal right now? You know, if you start to look at the various um information you can gather about about the markets gold looks like it's well positioned 
um, for the future. Uh, it had a great run this year, a quick run up. It's kind of settled down a little bit. But when you start looking at things like uh, interest rates in the U.S., um, trade uh, issues that we have in the world today, uh, consumption of, of, of gold by central banks at, at all-time high levels, um, and then start layering into that, you know, you know, financial policies in the future and where they're going. You know, it seems like, you know, and the equities markets, can they really trade at these kind of multiples long term? It seems like you're going to see some resistance in the equities markets. And again, go back to 2008, when the equities markets have resistance, gold performs very well. Have you seen an uptick in people's interest in gold, given the negative yielding bonds out there, the government bonds. You know, yeah, that, that, the negative interest stuff and all that is, is very intriguing. What I would tell you is we had a nice physical, physical demand was pretty strong uh, up until early third quarter. And since then, physical demands kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, I don't know if you guys read some of the World Gold Council reports that have come out, but they compare kind of what's, you know, for some reason, physical demand has not kept up with infusion of cash into the ETFs. So a lot of consumers, I mean, ETF inflow, I think until the month of November, we're approaching all-time highs uh, in terms of total balances right now. So consumers are definitely showing an appetite for gold. They're putting it in ETFs. The physical side, to be honest with you, I think is going to have to wait until the equities markets truly have some resistance. I think when the equities markets start to struggle, I do think physical gold is going to start to see um, – Physical gold that I sell is going to start to see higher demand. Do you see any market risks out there that might um, push people into gold? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard for all of us to predict. Obviously, we got an yeah. election in the U.S. coming up in the next year. Um, you know, no telling in terms of the international relations going on. We've got a president that likes to seem to stir the pot a little bit, as you guys know. Um, so, you know, hard to predict. I just look at what the equities are doing and and how well they perform. I mean, I, I sure do love it when I look at my investment accounts, but um, but I'm, I'm concerned it can't continue that kind of trend. It just, it doesn't feel like it can. And, and the minute, in my opinion, you know, you used to talk about the dollar. It used to be once the dollar has some weakness, we'll see gold do very well. Uh, that holds true, but I think the equities markets is going to be the trigger, and I, I can't imagine them continuing the pace. I mean, they're up 24% this year, which is just unheard of. And uh, how, how long can this continue is really the question. There was a, a, a headline in the FT, the Financial Times, earlier this week, uh, U.S. Federal Reserve considers letting inflation run above target. Uh, in other words, they're considering relaxing the, the 2% target, not least because they can't even hit that. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm, my initial response to that, and I'm getting the concern on the part of listeners that all this conversation is being is, is basically three people furiously agreeing with each other. But, uh, <laughs> but, I'm, not, but, I'm not agreeing with you. <laughs> I came here for an argument. That's but, right. But not, notwithstanding that, you know, I, 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 you know, I, clearly I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to be labelled a gold bug, though I think, to be fair, the people who, who, who call other people gold bugs should be themselves called paper bugs because that's the, the the natural corollary but the 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 concern i would have now is that if this is not it wasn't the most perfect time in history to own gold then i, I frankly i don't know what would be you know you've got interest rates not just zero but negative in many places and now the the world's single largest central bank is saying you know what we're supposed to have a fight against inflation but we couldn't be asked anymore i mean if if gold does not perform in this kind of environment it's difficult to know when it can yeah. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And, and look, I, I think, uh, you know, I think I know why the Fed's taking the position they are. I mean, the reality is quantitative easing, when we put it in place back uh, in the late 2000s, it many more uh, options, if you will, to be able to stimulate the economy. The reality is they've, they've kind of listened to the president and they've, they've lowered interest rates when probably it's debatable whether they should have done that. And, uh, you know, they're running out of levers. And, and I think uh, our debt is, is growing at just extreme levels here in the U.S. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I think the Fed's going to start to have less and less options if they want to try to react to what's going on in the markets right now. So um, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, what I would always tell uh, investors, and, and I'm, a, I'm a big believer in this, don't look at gold about, don't look at gold as a short-term thing. Don't look at gold as, I'm going to go out and I'm going to show the markets that I'm going to put, you know, a big dollar amount in gold and, and I'm going to outperform the equities. Look at gold as a diversification strategy. That's that's the that's the pitch I like to give everyone because I've heard it over and over again. Oh, you run a gold company. You just want me to buy it. I, all I want you to do is think about your, your diversification strategy. You can't tell me having gold at 5 to 10% of your portfolio value from a performance standpoint, from a risk standpoint, isn't a smart move. It makes perfect sense. And then debate only needs to become the abide physical, do you buy digital or do you buy paper? And I'll leave that up to the consumer to decide what's right for them. So what one what one of the only real concerns I have in in relation to the ownership of, of, of gold and silver is or specifically gold, Executive Order six one oh two in nineteen thirty three made the uh, the private ownership of gold illegal in the US though if, unless I'm misguided, I don't think anyone actually ever went to prison as a result of that of that order. But notwithstanding that, to what extent are you are you remotely concerned that you we might see a change in, let's say, the administration's view of gold as a legitimate financial asset? I would tell you this. I I know for a fact Trump's a gold bug. Um, I'll tell you a little story. People probably don't even know. Uh, we actually leased some real estate in New York City in the Trump Tower. And the way this is before Trump had decided to run for office and the way we actually put down our deposit uh, with Trump was with gold bars. Mm. And there's actually a story out there you guys can research. It's very intriguing. My point of bringing it up is I think I think Trump and I think others see the stability of gold over time. I think the debate might be, would we ever see a, a revisit of the gold standard at some point mm. in time? Uh, more than uh, government changing their view and wanting to confiscate gold. I, I think it's more likely you'd see a, a reverting to the gold standard before you'd ever see uh, the, the, you know, what the, what, what the government did back in the 30s. But now, would, you say that's, that, would you say that's unlikely, though? I still think it's unlikely. I think both are unlikely, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, and I, don't, I wanted to actually, I wanted to clarify, because I don't want anyone to run around going, Ken Lewis said gold standards coming back. But what I would tell you, but I would tell you is, I think it's more likely than than than, than the scenario where uh, people try to take all the gold back. The government does, mm-hmm. and and look, I, I I know for a fact when you when you look at the way um, the way the markets are working, you know, gold is a more stable asset out there that you know it has a supply and demand element to it. People forget about that. You know, we all think about. Um, you know, what drives the price? Well, the reality is there's only a limited supply of gold in the, in, in, in the world. And, and just supply and demand alone should support over time an increasing a value of that particular asset. And sometimes things like that are lost in the, in the way people evaluate, um, you know, precious metal investment in general. My understanding is that since 2000 and perhaps before then, the amount, the, the rate at which new gold, in other words, brand new 
um, mine uh, output has, has risen uh, on an annualized basis has been of the order of one to one and a half percent. And that's during a period where the gold price has reached an all time high. So we may we may even be close to peak gold. I think you, you nailed it. That's the point I want to make is is they've only been able to keep because look, it's very capital intensive. There's only only a certain amount of gold to be found um, on this earth. And you talk about a one and a half percent increase, and then you go look at what actually consumer demand has been mm. for gold, and the appetite for it as an investment vehicle, and uh, and you can see where it's far outstripping the production that's actually occurring, the increase in production that's occurring. So I, I think it's just something to keep in the back of our minds that it is a limited asset, it is something that should naturally go up in long term due to its scarcity, and uh, and that's something that sometimes is, just people don't talk about when they talk about. It as a as an investment, there's there's some obviously logical reasons to to see an increase in value. In in a in a deflationary environment, um, which it's unclear really at the moment whether we're going to see inflation or deflation as being the right. biggest problem, and it could be that we have both, and it's just a question of the order of which. Um, do you think gold will still perform in that environment, or at least be a decent hedge? You know, the second part is probably what I would jump on more than the first. Um, I I really, truly believe long-term views of gold. People who own gold don't own gold for six months, three months. They tend to make a long-term view on gold. And and I think they tend to look at it as a hedge or a benefit depending upon the markets and what it's doing. It's just a protection. It's a safe haven. It's a a safety valve for you. Um, You know, it's a great question about deflationary times and how gold would perform and probably something worth researching. I, I would love to know kind of what 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 data has told us in the past on that. Uh, I'm not really up to speed on that, but uh, don't really have an answer for you on that. But I definitely think the hedge angle and just looking at it as a portfolio uh, perspective, I think it's a good one. And, and I know we're mainly talking about the markets, but I, I do think that's where products like digital gold, uh, you know, I'm not trying to push it too hard, but it's, it's so easy to get in and out of it. But knowing it's physically backed by metal, it just seems like a no-brainer for consumers um, if they want to go out and, and make an investment in gold. It's just so much easier to do than the old days uh, back when you know you had to you know take a wheelbarrow and, and go get your metal type deal. It's funny you mentioned time horizons. Uh, I was at a, a meeting with some high-frequency traders a while back, and what one of the the guys in the in this panel asked one of the other guys, "What's the longest position you've ever held a uh, had a trade for?" And without without batting an eyelid, he said five point four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny, man. And I don't think gold is really built for day traders. Although I will tell you, this this, this application we built, you could literally trade in a matter of seconds back and forth. And we actually have people that do exactly exactly that, which blows me away. But um, if they can time it and figure out a way to make money on it, kudos to them. It's not something I could ever do. But would you would you? Uh, there's a, a follow up, which. Would, I would suggest that the gold is remains the most misunderstood asset on the planet in that for most I suspect for most people they've never owned it and for for many of those they they may never they may never they never will they simply never will but when people talk about let's say the gold price in dollars and top price targets and all the rest increasingly it seems to me that they're looking at this instrument through the wrong end of a telescope the the question is not what is gold worth in dollars the question is what's the dollar worth and so every time people are talking about you know when when to sell i mean some m- much brighter people than me have said forget when to sell it's more a question of 
first you have to ask yourself why you bought it in the first place. Right, right, right. No, I think you're you're spot on, and I do think it's misunderstood. I I tell stories of you know, I have a guy, a Mensa guy, very smart guy, very high IQ guy. You know, called and asked me, you know, eighteen questions about gold because he didn't understand it. And here's a very very smart individual who doesn't understand, you know, gold. I could tell you about the time he's done. He, he put fifty thousand dollars into gold because he realized. Okay, now I get it. I, I get the the inverse relationships. I get the safe haven concept. I get the idea of having it off the grid. I get some of the benefits that come with it. That is completely misunderstood oftentimes in the market. I mean, I think we think of look. The, I don't think you guys saw that. The, the there was a uh, crypto guy put out there a commercial where they made fun of a guy you know trying to carry gold and, and its density and how how burdensome it is and how you need to migrate to owning crypto which is absurd, by the way. But but anyway, uh, they, they made it look so old school and dated and, 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 and not something you'd ever want to do. Well, the reality of it is the numbers don't lie. It's it's fantastic for portfolios and the markets have made it so much easier to own gold that there's really no reason why you wouldn't you wouldn't do it. Matter of fact, I'll tell you guys, we're actually we're getting close on a concept where we're trying to find ways where you can earn gold like when you spend a credit card, you know, find ways where gold becomes more mainstream in the way we think about, um, you know, our, our, our everyday activities we do, because that's going to get people over the hump to start to think about it more and more in, in a broader sense than just physical metal stuck in a safe in my home, which I think is something we need to work on. The whole point of Bitcoin in the first place was for it to replicate a gold-like product in a yeah. digital environment. So it was the uh, it was the, the the long-term values of gold that were built into the the whole idea of cryptocurrencies in the first place. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, the, the biggest issue, obviously, is no intrinsic value. It's just all, you know, yeah. it's, it's and, and it's got a very tight holding group that, that controls the price probably more than anything. Um, but conceptually, you're, you're spot on. And, and I, look, I think, I personally believe cryptos, I don't want to get sideways here, but I do believe modernizing our financial systems and going to more of a digital concept in general uh, is the right step. Like I was in China last summer with my daughter for her 16th birthday. Um, she wanted to go over to, to that part of the country, like let's the part of the world, let's do it. And when I'm over there, I was blown away. I'm in, I'm in small cities where everyone's paying their bills with the, with their phones or using WeChat to basically buy everything that they're purchasing in convenience stores. And I'm like, nobody carries currency over there. Um, and so I do think the digitization of the, of the financial industry is, is here to come and, and we're going to see big changes in the future. We had, um, we had what was called a Brexit podcast and we had a, a few very interesting guests with us. And we learned from um, one of the guests, Alasdair McLeod, that Warren Buffett's father was actually a, an advocate of gold, even though Warren <laughs> Buffett himself is not, which was, which was absolutely fascinating. You know, you know, it's funny. And look, I, I know Buffett's angle primarily is, it, you know, it doesn't return. Maybe I'll say this. It, there's a cost of ownership there that's too high to merit the return you, you, you can get. And, and there's a, a lot of people have talked about that. And, and I do think as we evolve the, the way we think about gold and we evolve the mechanisms with which gold can uh, be involved in, I think you're going to see some of the big naysayers on gold, like, for example, the cost of ownership. Uh, let me give you one example. On our one gold application, again, I keep bringing it up, we're going to provide the ability for you to borrow against your gold. Okay, well, well, why would anyone ever want to borrow? Well, 
look, if you want to go and borrow money in general from a bank, it is very cumbersome. It's very difficult. Um, they're asking for collateral left and right. You're signing away your, 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 your house and other things. But what if you just had an investment in gold that you could actually go out and borrow against at much lower rates than a bank would charge? Again, leveraging that asset in a digital form is ways that I think you're going to see things evolve in the future. Can you earn interest then on if, if you hold gold? Absolutely, you could over time. And I think I think there are options. There are actually products in the market today where people are, are actually acting as the bank and, and loaning their metal out and getting return on that while still having exposure to metal. So I think it's I think concepts like that as we think out of the box, gold is a is if it's held in physical form and it's in a vault and securely identified, you can do things with it as a collateral element that you probably, you know, you'd be amazed about how the reception would be out in the markets with that. Just whether so, that be oh, borrowing again, interest rate, whether that be borrowing, interest, you know, other things, there's things you can do that are very unique that you couldn't do in a physical world without digitization. You need the digital side to enable gold to be used in a much bigger way than it ever has been in the past. Go ahead, sir. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, if clients are buying lots of gold and you're putting lots of gold into your safe, then yeah. presumably, I know this might sound like a really basic question, but just so so I can imagine it, if if you get the reverse situation where suddenly lots of people decide to sell their holdings, do you then, do you as a company decide to hold on to that gold for the long term or do you then actually just sell it back out and, and keep keep the the level matching what clients want yeah i think one thing is i would say unique about atmax uh, on the physical side or even one gold is we don't make money on the price of gold um, we may make it on demand and and whatnot but we don't make it we don't take a position in gold uh we don't we don't prospect we don't we don't attempt to try to predict what metals are going to do um it's not it's not in our um in our in our things that we focus on so in your case we just let supply and demand dictate what we do. So we'll we'll buy metal back. The premium we buy at will be sometimes dictated by how much demand's out there. So you could see, and this is one of the negatives on physical gold, by the way, is you know, you 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 never know how the market's gonna be when you go to sell. So today you go to sell a gold eagle, you might get spot or ten dollars back a spot or something like that. Where if you'd sold back that gold eagle five years ago, you might have got $35, 40 dollars over spot. Um, so we'll buy back inventory at whatever the markets really dictate, uh, typically because of what we can then sell it for on the other side. So it's simply it's simply supply and demand, buying and selling type retail concept that we operate under. I see. And and what we've talked a lot about gold, but we haven't mentioned gold's other cousin, which is silver. <laughs> and what about platinum too? Do you do you deal in those? We, we do, and and we actually have what's beautiful about the digital concept is we have silver on it. Believe it or not, we're fifty fifty gold silver, because physically holding silver is a lot more challenging as you could imagine. Um, but yeah, we deal what, in what, what, uh, Why is that? Sorry, Ken, but I, I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not sure why. Oh. Why is that? Uh, so, like for example, I was talking to a gentleman who had you know, hundred thousand dollars invested. He lived in New York City, and he told me he had a silver exposure. To that well, you start thinking about how many ounces, how much physically uh. the footprint that took up. And he was in New York City. We know we know real estate there's something like what a thousand, two thousand bucks a square foot. And he's basically saying, I need to get this out of my out of my uh, closets. Can you convert that to, to digital for us? Which of course we can. And and so we bought back his silver product physically. We put it to a digital. We then put the physical silver that we have in a safe, and uh, and he's good to go. And and he doesn't have to worry about physically storing something that takes up a ton of space and 
and obviously has some risk associated with with it being there. So yeah, it's uh, it, but but silver is something we do a lot of business in, and it's unfortunately probably been hurt a little more in the last couple of years than I would have liked to have seen it. Uh, I think gold is is kind of still the primary target of people when they go to invest. Silver had a great run there from like 2011 to 2015, 16. It was really humming along. And uh, the last couple of years, silver has really pulled back in demand. I think it's only a matter of time before that comes back as well. And it feels feels cheap on a gold-silver ratio basis, though, doesn't it? It so, does. And, you know, look, I, I don't – our company, we don't take a position in gold. We don't do financial advice. We just present facts. And mm. all I tell people is, look, you know, I don't know if silver will ever get back to its all-time highs. I'll be on the record to say that. But if it ever did, it's a three-time multiple where it sits today. And what about platinum? Yeah, well, uh, and platinum is a similar story. But in gold, though, you look at it, we're fourteen fifty. It's all-time highs nineteen hundred bucks. So you can move three hundred fifty, four hundred fifty bucks on gold or 30, 40%, or you can move 300% on silver when you look at them to their all-time highs. So I think silver is a fantastic buy right now uh, when you look at the silver-gold ratio and you look at it at its performance to all-time highs. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt it has far more upside and much little up, much little downside. Uh, platinum is, uh, is a product that has also kind of had a, a tough run lately, um, but I think it's uh, also got great potential, probably more like on the gold side. Uh, gold buyers and platinum buyers seem to be more alike. Silver buyers seem to be a little bit different type of uh, investor. And they all have industrial use, if if nothing else, which, of course, there was um, – we had a, a gentleman on our podcast called Guido Hulsman, and he his main reason for preferring gold was simply at least you can use it in industry, if nothing else. And, and the same and get, for silver. You can say the same for silver. Yes, exactly. If, it, if not opposed, more so. Oh, that was as opposed to – Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and there is industrial demand for these things. And, and as we think about things like uh, what's the new phone technology coming out, 5G or something like that, it's got more use of precious metals than the previous version. And you think about solar panels and you think about the, the, the electric cars. And there's a definite institutional need or industrial need for, for metal, which is fantastic. The other thing that's beautiful about gold is our world banks love to have gold sit in their vaults as a way uh, to back their uh, their economies and, and their and their financial instruments and you know matter of fact i'm sure you guys have heard about this but there's many banks that are actually liquidating dollars and getting into gold because they feel like gold has less exposure to risk due to the you know volatility that's going on in our country for leadership so you're seeing more and more demand for gold uh, grow with central banks and getting out of the U.S. dollar, which I think is great for gold long-term as well. It's funny, we had a great uh, situation in Europe um, about a decade ago, and there was a Dutch pension fund. I think it was the Glassblowers Union, and they their pension fund had, a uh, let's say, a meaningful exposure to, to, to bullion, to, to physical gold. And the Dutch regulator said, what, what are you doing with this risky commodity in your pension fund? You need to <laughs> sell this risky commodity and replace it with um, very, very safe uh, Dutch government bonds. And the, the pension fund took the government to court. And I believe they won that case. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, again, I, I mean, half, half of the problem that we're all dealing with is the damned regulator. You, you, well, that's a good point, Rick. I think the, like the banking systems, I think, are that are propped up today than they were back in 2008. And so the regulators maybe are helping us a little bit there long-term. But when you start to think about world banks, and, and I'm not an economist, guys, I, I, uh, but I think it's pretty amazing the level of, of investment they have 
uh, I've got a presentation I've done and you look at the tons, just the raw tons of gold sitting in vaults around our governments and around the world. It's uh, they clearly believe in it as a vehicle to protect their their economies long term. I was at a pub quiz and one of the questions was what metal is the best conductor of electricity? <laughs> oh, for me, uh uh gosh i know i know tim knows the answer Um, uh platinum i would say platinum or palladium tim it's silver isn't it yes yes and no one got it no one got it wrong actually yeah a a friend of mine there got it right because he'd heard it before and it was like but there were were these you know phd guys who who just didn't get it right it was so interesting so that is uh that is interesting yeah yeah yeah, so it has that it has that uh industrial use as well so which is uh, well you know one, one of these guys that's amazing is go look at the price of palladium and look at what it's done the last two years yes yes it, it's primarily used in industrial purposes and you know everything i read is because it's gotten so expensive it eventually will be replaced with lower cost metals but it's just it's been so it's performed so well because the amount of supply can't keep up with the institution or industrial demand for its usage. So, yeah, people do definitely forget about the industrial uses of various precious metals and how they can drive the price of that metal up or down, uh, depending on what's going on and, and how things are evolving. I don't know if you've been uh, or if you've heard about the catalytic converter thefts that have been going on, but personally, uh, yeah. yeah, personally, I had that happen, and that that's directly linked to the the rising price. It's just quite incredible. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And again, you know, it's nice to know that something like a precious metal has other reasons that drive its price than just investor sentiment, um, which I think protects it long term. Like I mentioned, I mean, you know, look, history doesn't lie. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, it just continues to grow in value over time. And I think you're going to continue to see that in the future. You mentioned that gold should be part of a portfolio. If we put gold to one side now, what else do you think you could put? You in can't, no, Paul. You can't put gold to one side. What are things people people's investments? I mean, obviously, I'm not. I, you know, look, I'm not a financial advisor. No, I mean, no. personally, me personally, I, I think you should always have a, a an exposure to real estate. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, I personally, um, you know, look, I everyone's in a different stage of their. Life cycle. I'm in. I'm in wealth preservation mode. Uh, 49 years old. I'm starting to try to think about how to make sure I'm going to have something when I retire. And and so you know, I just built me a new house, and I've got 75% equity in the home. Someone look at me and go, "You're absolutely crazy. You could have made 24% in the markets. What are you doing? You're 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 losing money by making that decision." I look back and go, "I'm comfortable with my decision because I'm in preservation mode, and I know the house is not going to go down in value, generally speaking." And, uh, and I think it's a, it's a safe investment I'm comfortable with. So I think everyone it kind of depends on where they're at in their, in their risk profile and, and, and stage of their, of their lives. Um, but owning real estate, I think, is a very smart move. Even from an investment standpoint beyond just your home, I think it makes a lot of sense as well. Um, and history has shown real estate tends to perform well. But you got to be careful. There's bubbles out there where you can get burned and, and you need to watch for that and not buy at the highs. Ideally, you got to prevent against that. Um, so that's one area I know I tend, I tend to invest in. Uh, I'm still a believer in growth stocks, um, but maybe not to the level I have been in the past. I tend to go with more small caps and mid caps right now. Um, you know, I think that's uh, the future. I think 
I think, I think, uh, guys, I think technology is evolving and, and we need to continue to invest in, in where the technology roadmap is going to take us. It's amazing the efficiencies and that is bringing to the markets and how that's resulting in companies that have significant valuations for, 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 for rifle reasons. I mean, they've really have disrupted the market in many ways on the technology side. The, the most single significant quote that I've, I've ever come across, certainly in my career um, in investment terms, is a, is, a, is a line in a book called Against the Gods by Peter L. Bernstein. And it's a quote from a chap called Daniel Bernoulli. And Bernoulli was a, almost literally a Renaissance guy. Um, and he was a polymath and a scientist and God knows what. And what he said was, uh, I think that the precise quote is, um, if, you're, if you're dealing with wealthy investors, quote, the practical utility of any gain in portfolio value inversely relates to the size of the portfolio, unquote. Or in plainer English, if you're managing money or helping the wealthy manage their money, if you're managing money for wealthy people, just don't lose it because their their risk appetite will tend to be such that for sure they want a meaningful return, but they don't want a meaningful return if it puts their amassed capital meaningfully at risk. And I mean, that's a business that that's, I'm involved in. And when I came across that quote in late 1999, I think it was, which happened to be also at the, at the peak of the first dot-com boom, it was like a flash, a bolt of lightning. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, that, that's, uh, I think it's a very accurate statement. And uh, I do think that, you know, like I, I know when I sit down with my financial advisors and I look at the return, they always go, okay, you can't look at the S and P 500 because that has, that has not been adjusted for any kind of risk profile that you'd want to operate at. So it's kind of like you start to dial your mind into thinking about, okay, if I can get 70% of the S&P or 60%, knowing I've protected a little bit more on the downside, I'm willing to live with that. Uh, and I think that's kind of where where I am, at least in my profile. I'm probably a little young. I'm probably a little conservative. Uh, some people would probably have a little bit more risk profile than I do. But uh, I, I agree 100% with that quote. I think it's spot on. The paradox I have with, with gold is that Nobody realistically, well, I, I, it's a question as much as a statement. Do people really want to live in a world where gold will end up being the best investment? Because gold at, say, three, four, five, ten thousand dollars an ounce, that world is going to be pretty uh, unpleasant. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think, I, don't, I think in the end, and I've said this over and over ago, gold is a you know, diversification strategy left and right. And I actually hope gold doesn't perform well because that probably means I'll make more money. Uh, now, I say that as not a running a person who runs a gold company. I say that as a, a normal bystander who has normal investments. Uh, clearly, in my business, if, if gold were to go to three, five thousand, I'm, I'm sure I'd be doing very well. Uh, but uh, but again, I, I, my hope always really when I think about the markets, and I think about where we're at. Um, you know, I hope that I hope that the other things, the equities or other investments, are doing well because generally that means the economy is performing very well. Uh, we're not having bubbles out there. Uh, we're not having massive companies doing layoffs and, and companies going out of business. And it's generally a funner environment to be in when that's not going on than than one that has a whole bunch of uh, uh, drama in it that uh, I think we all would like to avoid. What? How do you see the the interest rate environment? Uh, evolving over months and years to come. I, I, I'm highly skeptical that central banks have a cl remotest clue what the hell they're doing. Um, but 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 maybe it's just me. 
Um, how, how do you see this thing developing? This, this, this. Well, I say a, de- a global debt predicament developing. Man, look, I, I think quantitative easing was good when it happened. Unfortunately, it's turned into a drug. And I think governments have gotten so used to stimulating their economies by like putting money back into the into the economy, growing debts to exponential levels. Um, you have to ask yourself at some point, can these countries service their debt? Uh, I know we saw, I think it was Greece um, had some issues and others. I think it's only a matter of time before um, the increase in debts in these in these governments uh, are going to become or these countries are going to become a problem. It's just it has to happen. Um, and you know, you think about interest rates. That the challenge we have is, look, I was amazed the government of the U.S. lowered our interest rates this year. Um, I think it was twice, maybe it was three times. I can't remember exactly, but uh, it blew me away because it didn't feel like that was the right time to be lowering interest rates. Um, and, you know, the, com- the, com- the the economy was growing. We had, we had positive GDP growth. Um, even inflation wasn't above any target levels. But we're out here lowering interest rates. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Um, eventually, we're going to be in negative interest rates here in the U.S. if we don't if we don't uh, protect ourselves. So it's a uh, it's not a good situation. I, I think we've really gotten addicted to the drug of of government stimulating economies with uh, you know bond buys and printing money and. Eventually, that's going to come to some kind of head at some point. Do you think the level of actual interest rates makes any difference anymore? I mean, because they're, they're so low, what's what's the difference between another quarter point or, you know, off what is 5,000-year lows in rates? I agree with you 100%. I, I, I don't know why that seems to be a lever that we go back to. Um, it seems odd. I, I know, you know, look, I'm sure there's some investment angles that make more that are more attractive in your models when you have lower interest rates. Um, but we've been operating in the U.S. At, at just terribly low interest rates for, my gosh, you know, years and years now. Um, and, you know, I just can't ever imagine a day where interest rates go back to the six, seven, eight percent range or more. I just can't envision a government would ever let that happen in today's world. I, I just I can't imagine it. And uh, so to your point, I don't see it necessarily going down much further, helping the economy. But I and that's one of the challenges we're going to have. If we ever have a, if we ever have an economic event or a situation where where um, the financial markets are really struggling, what is left for the governments to do to stimulate the economy? It's also so interesting that the new traders Pro- of prostitution. Today... <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, again, I, I I don't want to just harp on this, but it, it's why gold is a good investment right now. It, it you know, if you don't think rates can go much lower. Uh, or, 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 or not going to trend upward anytime soon. If you feel like uh, you know we're, we're printing dollars and we're growing debt, um, if you feel like the equity markets maybe are getting to the point where they're overvalued, why would you not have gold in your portfolio? It doesn't make any sense from my perspective. And, and I know I run a gold company, but if I had if someone had presented these facts to me independently and I had never heard about gold, I would think twice about it and I'd go do my research. It, but isn't the more negative rates go, the better it is for gold? It is. The opportunity cost obviously is is there. I mean, if you're going to pay to hold dollars, uh, why would you why would you not just hold gold, right? And and that's the I think interest rates are one of the people say higher interest rates are bad for gold, and they tend to be not good for gold because the cost of owning gold is higher. Um, so you know, lower interest rate times are perfect for gold. Uh, although I do believe there is some history that shows. Even at times when there are higher interest rates, gold does not always perform 
gold can still go up in value even with higher interest rates. It really depends on other events that could be going on in the markets and not just interest rates. But uh, yeah, I think you're you're spot on with opportunity costs being with interest rates being as low as they are. Your opportunity cost of owning gold is is next to nil. You got to give it some serious consideration. Some people have said that the rate of inflation is is basically not being reported correctly, and it's actually much higher than 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 official figures say. And therefore, it it would make sense to protect your dollars by putting it into something that that is stable. And and your own figures bear that out over a long period of time. Yeah, yeah you're right. And look, I think. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I will say a lot of gold owners tend to be a little bit more on the conspiracy theorist side. They like to think about how the the government may not be telling the truth. And, and look, I mean, all these economic figures that come out, I'm always amazed at the level at which they get adjusted <laughs> after the fact. I'm, I'm sure you you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I'm sure they're meant to be reliable, but I, I have question marks uh, sometimes about, I don't know, it just it seems convenient that certain numbers are presented certain ways when an election's going on or, or when, you know, good news is needed uh, for, um, you know, for a leadership. It, it's crazy how that tends to work out sometimes. But uh, but again, that's on the conspiracy side. And I'd rather steer clear of that and just use data to make decisions. But there's definitely some question marks out there on some of the data that's reported. I, I question it just in general. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not so much being a conspiracy theorist, but more just observing what you have to pay for day to day. And you know, oh, tu- yeah. tuition fees and sure. and uh, you know, food and and you know, beers in your local pub or whatever it might be. I mean, none of it seems to be stable. It always seems to be going up, you know, faster and faster. So there's definitely a, a feeling of inflation out there um, no, with, without no it being no, reported. No doubt about it. I, I have I have uh, I have two kids in college. I got a third going next year, <laughs> and uh, in the U.S. I I. I, mean, I, I look, I went to college back in 88, graduated in 92, paid my own way through school 100%, and I graduated with $8,000 in debt. And I look at it and go, gosh, okay, I've got a kid out of stage going to Georgia Tech, my, my, where I went, and uh, and I'm paying probably all in between tuition, room, board, $50,000, $55,000 a year, a year. And I'm going, so that's going to cost over $200,000 out of state, and I graduated with eight grand in debt. I was an in-state student, so full disclosure there. But it's just crazy. Uh, mm. There's, there's to your point, there are definitely certain areas where we spend our money that have clearly gone up far, far greater than the inflation number people quote. We we had a gentleman on our podcast, Guido Holzman, and he was talking about. I, I'm not sure if it was a relative. I can't quite remember. Maybe Tim will, will remember it. But he was saying that um, he uh, he had a relative who was a you know a good few years ago who was. Um, I think it was basically a carpenter, some something of that nature. It, you know, not a, not what you consider to be a highly paid profession, but still managed to take his family on holiday and live and buy his own house. And if you look at how much it costs to to actually own a property anywhere, let alone in a, a city, um, to fund it, what you've got to earn in order to do that, um, it, yeah. it just it just makes you wonder um, how. You know th- these numbers are being reported. They were being reported, obviously, in in your yeah. own currency. They're not being reported in gold. Um, so, so yeah. I think some smart people have kind of re um, reanalyzed the the true value of markets in gold. So the Dow in gold yeah. And, yeah. and house prices in gold, and do you actually see these so called investments that have done well haven't actually done quite as well 
as you might have thought. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on. I, I, I have a son. He made a decision a week ago that he thinks he wants to be a teacher now. And, um, and so him and I started doing some research on what a teacher makes here in the U.S. And, you know, I became convinced, and it's, it's despicable, to be honest with you, for such a valuable position like that, what we pay our teachers is ridiculous. But I looked at it and I go, can he make a living, you know, with a college degree, being a teacher, giving back to the community? Can he actually support himself in today's times? And I, I think it's a tough question. And so to your point, you know, the days of a carpenter being able to go out and buy a house and support a family and live, live, live healthy, I think it's in, it's in question compared to where it was back uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago. This is a time when, you know, air travel is, has become cheaper, relatively cheaper and easier, but right. it, it just doesn't seem to be as, you know, as accessible. But sorry, Tim. I was just going to say, this is acutely a problem here in the UK because we're now a week away from having a general election. Um, and for the first time in the country's history, there is a possibility, hopefully not a probability, but a possibility that a hard left, explicitly Marxist government could yet get elected with Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell. And one of the, if that comes to pass, one of the reasons that will come to pass is because if, if I take my own example, so I'm a child of the 80s, went to university in the 80s, got a job in the early 90s. Soon after getting that job in the early 90s, got a, a foot on the housing ladder by putting down a deposit on a flat in, in central London. None of those things is, is, is as achievable for the, the, the uh, 20 something, you know, the 2019 uh, version of me. So I have got genuine sympathy for the millennials here because they've been royally screwed by the baby boomer generation, if you're going to sort of start picking sides in the, the sort of age war. And the the conclusion they've probably come to is the system is rigged, the system is flawed. This is what one of our previous guests referred to as crapitalism. And on that basis, why, why not vote for free stuff? Why not vote for a, a government that's going to make everything apparently free and the rich can pay? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're spot on. I, I was amazed. I, I have a son. He, he was. Uh, he was at Wake Forest at one point, which is a little bit more of a called a preppy school kind of. Lot, lot of high net worth families were there, and I was blown away by the awareness and amount of investment in gold that was already occurring at kids in in college. Right? Who would have thought about investing in gold in college? It's starting to come back. I think there are generations that are starting to look at it as a viable option, even at ages like 20 years old, because they see what's going on in the markets right now. I think the the if Bitcoin's done one good thing and only one, it yeah. has actually made people question what money actually is. Good point. You Great know? point. So, you know, it, it's asked that question. And when you start looking around, that's why you end up looking at gold again because it's you analyze cryptocurrencies and say yeah, okay yeah this is interesting i get it you know there's limited supply you can't uh, you can't hack it and it's um you know it's not centrally controlled and then well why was it created oh yeah it was created because they printed all this money oh, okay and so so what printed this money against what well what was it backed by before oh it's backed by gold oh right okay so it all it all just 
Rhodes League back there, really. And you, I so mean, now, you could also you could also say though, Paul. I mean, not to not to dispute that, but you could also say that the the, the two thousand eight financial crisis also had some value in that it ought to have taught people that well, markets can go down as as well as up. And uh, not not to be too glib, there's a friend of mine. I think he I think he actually managed to turn this into a book with the title "Money Talks" and mine said goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, guys. I mean, I, I, um, when we when we looked at the markets, and you talked about crypto earlier. What we liked about crypto is how the use of technology is making things, you know, making people think about things differently. You know, and 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 how to use things like two factor authorization, how to uh, link your various bank accounts and investments into one vehicle, how to make it easy to be able to go out and take. Uh, steps and actions on a moment's notice, and and I think that's one of the things that we felt the the crypto space has done a great job of evolving our thinking, and and now you're seeing products out there, these auto investing tools, and you know there's they're they're taking what I would say are really dated kind of old school principles of investment and and how to deal with uh, that, and they're really making it much easier and more modern for consumers today than, than we could have ever thought of three, four, five years ago. Yeah, the rise of technology, it has been incredible. And if we think that the internet is 50 years old and what yeah. will it look like in 50 years' time is 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 quite amazing. Yeah, I, I would agree. And and again, shameless pitch here, but you know, when we when we built the one goal platform and, and I and I would challenge anybody to try, go look at the reviews. If you can't set an account up and make a trade in three minutes, then we messed up. Point <laughs> being, the, the point being is it, it's built, it allows people, time is money nowadays. And so when you're building platforms and you're trying to enable functionality, you put the consumer first and technology it done the right way can be such an advantage for a consumer that will make will open their minds and make it easy for them to adopt concepts like buying gold that maybe but in the old days it was just too confusing too complicated too many questions to be asked not transparent and i think it's i really do think the cryptos and some of the technology evolutions are going to make how you invest and how you hold your money and i mean is will there be a day when we won't even have a currency anymore when i say currency we won't be holding dollars or euros or pounds we'll just have our phones and um, and I think those days are coming across the world. They're coming and they're already in place in certain parts of the country uh, or the world today. And I think that's going to be great for for the younger crowds and the older crowds as things continue to evolve. Can global people open an account with you or is it just? No, absolutely. It's a worldwide platform. And matter of fact, our goal is to offer euros and pounds very, very shortly. And we are actually working with a very large institution based in the UK that would actually hold metal in the UK for clients if that's where they want to hold metal in the future. So, so it's, it's gonna, you know, the, the days of, you know, you could be sitting in, in, you know, you could be sitting on your phone, sitting in traffic, decide you want to buy gold, have it stored in the U S Canada, Switzerland, UK, fund it with euros, pounds, dollars, uh, and, and buy it and sell it in a moment's notice. That's where the world's going. You're going to allow you to own gold, Anywhere you want to hold it around the world, any currency you want to buy it in, it's coming. And, and, and some of it already exists. There are companies that have done some of this, but they've made it – remember my comment earlier about three minutes. They made it so complicated that they scare away investors. Our goal is to make it simple, easy, transparent, 
allow you to own it anywhere you want to own it, uh, anywhere around the world in any currency you want to buy it in. That's our goal to get there. We're not there. We're going to launch an app in about two weeks. That app, I played with it, guys. I could literally make a trade in about 35 seconds. It's that simple. And that's, I think that technology evolution, if we can make gold to the masses and get everyone trying to think about owning a piece of gold, then that can evolve to being a better asset long-term for for those that have been in gold for a long time. Do you think it can work in the developing markets? Yeah, actually, actually, actually I do. And, and, and I think it's actually more applicable in developing markets than it is anywhere. Because uh, would you rather hold your, your Venezuelan currency or would you rather hold gold? And I don't think there's any doubt consumers are better off in some of these countries where their where their uh, currencies are so volatile. You you really would rather just hold gold, and um, and I think that's a smart move for for many down the road. And eventually, and we have evaluated this. We're debating whether we're going to go down the path. We we're actually looking at two options, guys. We're looking at a debit card where you know you can own gold and spend gold uh, when you want to buy your coffee. Uh, there's a company there in the UK that that had a product that that, that was on the market. My concern is, unless your currency is volatile, why would you really use a product like that? But if you had a volatile currency, man, it seems like a great concept, right? I, I have my, I hold my dollars, my investments in gold. I go and buy my groceries. It converts to the currency at that time. I minimize my exposure to my currency. Win, win, win. But if it's a flat kind of very minimal movement in your currency, why not just hold the currency when you're going to go buy your buy your buy your uh, your coffee? So that's one angle. But the other angle we're working on is one: give you a credit card that gives you two percent back in gold, that's automatically invested for you, so you can actually grow your investments in gold as you buy your groceries and other things. And we think that angle is one that we think is more attractive for consumers long term. Two percent in this environment is absolutely massive. How how would it? How would that be sustained? So the way, again, I don't want to get too much into the way the interchange fees with, with credit card companies, but um, we've already been approached. We, we have over a million customers on our one goal, or excuse me, on our Antmax platform. And, and the concept is when you get to certain scale and size, um, the way the way the fees are paid for on the credit card side is merchants pay those fees as a part of any transaction. Mm-hmm. So they're paying 2 to 3%, no matter what credit card you walk in and use. The question is really how much of that goes back to the consumer and how much of that stays in the pocket of, right. of the banks. So that's how you can offer uh, a higher our, rate of interest. Our view is to give it back uh. to the customer. Our, our goal is to make our 30 basis points on a transaction when you buy and sell gold. And we really want you to, to put as much into gold as you can, because over the long term, we know that's going to be good for our business model. So, so those possibilities do exist in the market. Um, and this is where gold is going to become mainstream, in my opinion. You're going to find more and more new ways of owning gold that is going to make it more attractive to the masses. And I, and I think I hope to God that if it isn't us, someone is going to really move us forward and make this a reality over time. Sounds sounds fascinating. It really does. Yeah, we appreciate it. We're working on it, and we're not there yet. I mean, our, we launched an app, like I said, in about two weeks, and we're looking at currencies in the UK. We're looking. We're partnering with a company that you will know very, very well. Uh, that would hold the gum, the, hold the gold there in uh, in the UK. Uh, I think there's some evolutions coming, guys. That that not just our platform. We're not the only ones trying to figure this out. Um, the best thing we got going for us is, you know, we got a billion dollar company in Atmex, and we got a, you know, seven hundred million market cap company in in Canada helping to build this thing out. So you got stable, long term precious metal companies trying to build this, not fly by night, new to the industry guys who are just trying to figure it out. 
um, you got proven players, which we think is going to be critical long term. So if someone wants to invest in a company such as yours um, or bu- buy some gold in a company such as yours, what 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 yeah. would they look at yeah. before they do that? What would be a checklist? You know, that's a great question. I mean, we're a private company, obviously. Um, I'm not sure. You know, obviously, I think, you know, one of the challenges on companies that deal in gold is their stock tends to trade with people's perceptions on how gold's doing and not always their bottom line of performance. Um, and I think that's that's frustrating. Um, I think sometimes gold companies are not valued at the levels they should be uh, based on how well they're performing or not. I think it's it's one of the things you have to be aware of. Uh, many people do believe in buying or investing in mining companies or people in the gold business when uh, you, know, you invest in them instead of buying gold because you see an opportunity to make money that way. Uh, my cautionary tale on that is uh, the markets don't always sometimes respond the way gold responds. Um, all you have to do is go look at stock performance this year of some of the leading gold players, and you can see that they haven't performed as well as the price of gold has performed. Uh, so I just would caution people to to make sure it's a well-run company, make sure they've got a great balance sheet, make sure they've got good prospects when they're investing. Um, those 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 tangibles or those those key ways of looking at a company are no different whether it's a gold company or or any other industry you're looking at investing into. Tim, you gave a um, a presentation at Stansbury. You may have crossed Ken's path. Actually, <laughs> we 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 may we may well have done. So I've done two. I did one in um, Las Vegas a couple of years ago, and I did one in um, Nashville. Both of which were great fun. And uh, um, no, it's a it's a quality operation. It was. I was there this year. I, I was there just uh, uh, about a couple of months ago or, or six weeks ago. And you know what amazed me was I think the audience, a lot of high net worth individuals, about 500, 500 in attendance, another two, 300 on, online. What amazed me is they were aware of gold. But as big as Atmex is, a billion dollar company in the U.S., I was amazed how few people knew who we were. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, it was an opportunity for our company to kind of get to share our history and, and our views on gold and where we think the future is going. And of course, talk about our digital idea. Um, we, we think it's great. And we always think that we're, we're big and people know who we are. And what we realize is we're just a small company that many are not aware of. And our job is to, you know, to get the word out and try to educate people as much as we can on gold and, and gold as an investment. And Stansberry does a great job of doing that. We, we had um, a great guest on, um, and of course you'll know her, Daniel Martino Booth. Mm-hmm. Um, and she at that conference asked a very interesting question of the group. She said, who here thinks that the market is overvalued? And <laughs> the camera sort of swung around to the audience and nobody put, well, only a very few people put their hands up. And I was <clears throat> shocked. I thought that was that was a great question. But it was also interesting that so many professional, I guess, people um, <clears throat> or such interested people didn't actually think the market was particularly overvalued. Uh, I, I think that's just people didn't want to raise their hands. Yeah. Uh, really? Oh no! I, I don't know. I think you think they were shy. I'm not. Yeah, that could that could have been it. That could have been it. But um, uh, you know the audience I saw there, it, 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 it was uh, it's the kind of audience that don't didn't want to be on camera. Let's just call it that. Ah, so, right. Okay, uh, that makes sense. You no, know, I mean it's uh, they're very you know I think they're they're people who take their investments very seriously. I mean, they pay a lot of money to be a part of the Stansberry operation and get all the research reports. And I think their whole goal is to become as educated as possible. And I, I can't imagine if you did a survey. You, you know, that was confidential, you get the same response as the hands you saw uh, in the audience. We we had many a person come up and talk to us that um, absolutely feel like gold is uh, a viable option. It's really about how you get into gold is the part that 
um, really confuses people. And, and, and that's my point about earlier, as we can make gold a little more attractive and easy to get into and out of, I think more consumers will migrate that way. Most of the conferences I tend to be involved with, the, the attendees are so are so gloomy about the future that they tend to conclude that gold is for optimists. <laughs> <laughs> is is that before or after your presentation? Well, uh, let's, let's, just, let's just assume I'm not talking to them about gold, but I, I typically would, would be talking 99.9 recurring percent of the time about gold. Yeah, that's too brilliant. funny. That's too funny. Brilliant. Um, well, Tim, should we move to media picks or? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we warned you about this, Ken, I, but we, we haven't, Ken. We've, okay. We're going to drop you in it. We're going to drop you right in it now. Uh, but th- don't worry, because the water's lovely. So we tend to, to finish off uh, these little interviews with um, ask you know request for a media pick, which could be a book, a film, a blog, a podcast, any, really anything that you've recently or not even that recently seen or heard or come across that you've either loved or hated. And want to share with with people. I got one for you. I saw it this weekend. Um, so I like to drive race cars. I love the race on the track. I oh, it's, cool. there's, there's this uh, adrenaline rush, the strategy, the 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 uh, attempt to do your best times and maximize your ability. And and so I saw Ford versus Ferrari this weekend. Oh wow! Yeah. And uh, and if anyone drives cars, who's ever tracked a car. They can relate so much to the content in that movie. There was there was a talk at one point about the perfect lap, and and anytime I've gone out and raced, looked at the data, how you braked, where your acceleration was, your steering, and you're always trying to perfect the process, and you never get the perfect lap, but you try to. And uh, and they talked about you know the perfect lap and and landing that perfect lap and setting the new records and and I really I really could relate to not that I'm a professional race car driver but just the fact that you anyone who spent the time trying to understand how to go faster on track that movie was exceptional and uh, the acting was great as well and you didn't realize it was two and a half hour movie and you just didn't realize it you you, you were amazed it was that long a movie for how smoothly. They went through uh, the subject matter. It was a great movie. Have you seen Rush, Hunt v. Louder? I haven't. I haven't. Oh, man, you'll love that. It's a fantastic film. Uh, absolutely brilliant. About um, Nicky Louder and James Hunt. And, oh, and, no, uh, no, no. I did see that. My apologies. Yeah. I did yeah. see that movie. Yeah, no, that was that was actually another very good movie. I, I enjoyed that one as well. It was very well done. Ron Howard directed it. It was excellent, I thought. Um, I, had, I have to admit, I'm I'm really pleased you said that about this this current film because I'd seen a trailer and it didn't land right for me. So I I didn't get a good feel from it. And I, I love racing as well. So If you like bit... Rush, I will guarantee you, you will like this movie. I will excellent. guarantee it. I 100% think you will love the movie if you like that other movie especially because that, that other movie... I thought was was maybe a little less technical on the racing side and a little more storytelling. Mm. But uh, I think this one, I think you're gonna. And also the acting was amazing. I mean, you, you got uh, you got Matt some, Damon. Yeah, yeah, you got. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the gentleman's name. That, it's uh, uh, Christian Bale. Oh, Christian Bale! My goodness, Christian Bale was amazing. You, He's amazing, you, isn't he? Yeah, He's really. A great nice. actor. No, yeah. no, no, no. So we are talking Christian get, Bale. Yeah, get out of my light! <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, moron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, amateur yeah he's great yeah. And, and he's that, a passionate person he's an he is an english accent already obviously and 
And uh, he, he plays the story of an English racing uh, yes. driver um, that lived out in California. That uh, it's, it's great. It, it, it fits perfectly uh, for, for him. Can I be honest with you, Ken? I had a listen to that accent and I was a bit worried. It wasn't as good as um, the Bridget Jones accent that, uh, <laughs> that, that um, oh, what's her name? Now her name's going to happen. Renee Zellweger. Renee Zellweger. So, yeah, oh. Renee Zellweger's English accent is brilliant. <laughs> was but, it as good as Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins? That's well, the question. I think, I think it's, nothing could be worse than that, but it, it sounded a little like he was trying to do a bit of Cockney and it's sort of, Mockney. I don't know, it, I, was, I was worried about it, but I think he's an ac- excellent actor. So well, I will tell I'm really you, looking forward to it. Not being from the UK, I, you guys, I'll leave that up to you to critique. But, okay. uh, but uh, I, thought, uh, <laughs> I thought it was really good. Oh, Shelby, by the way, the role of that day and the story of Carol Shelby is also one. And maybe Americans relate a little bit more because of what Shelby did, uh, but uh, I, I never realized his story quite as much either. That was very interesting to learn about. But uh, yeah, so you got to try it, guys. Let me know what you think. Brilliant. Will do. Thank you very much indeed for that. Tim? Well, as a non, non-car non driver, I'm, I'm going to nominate um, a lovely little film called Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't follow that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna opt out of this round. Okay, that's fine. Um, well, I'm I was. By the way, Ken, have you ever done kart racing? I have, I have some, um, you know. So I've done some. I've I've actually raced the ring over there in Germany. I've uh, I've driven uh, with Mercedes at several tracks around the world. I actually drove on ice guys up in Canada. That's one. If you've never done that, go out and, and get a race car on ice. And uh, you'd be amazed at how fun that is. But obviously on a track, not not on the normal road. Not like- yeah, so no, it's literally what they do is they take a frozen lake. Yeah. They actually smooth out a track on the lake. So obviously you can imagine you're going to slide the car around a good bit. And uh, and if you mess up, you just slide into a little bit of a snowbank, nothing too major, and you, you're going again. So it's, uh, it's an amazing experience to be sitting out below freezing temps in a car, driving on ice going as fast as you can it's you if you've ever wanted to drift a car this is the way you learn how to drift a car it's absolutely amazing brilliant um i'm i'm gonna give for this week a i've got it's got to be half a recommendation because i'm only just starting reading this book but it's it's like one of these things where when you start reading it and you just go i I absolutely love this already and i i feel confident enough to to mention it and perhaps i'll pick it up uh, again when I finished it but it's called Only the Best Will Do and it's by Peter Seelern I'm not really sure how you pronounce his surname but it's spelled S-E-I-L-E-R-N um, and it's got a forward by a guy who was on our podcast Jonathan Davis and it's absolutely fantastic the um, the the essence of it is and I think we can all appreciate this is that the philosophy of the book is investing in value companies, but only picking and valuing the best ones. And it's obviously a strategy that's going to be very close to Tim's heart as a value investor, but it starts off kind of laying out the stall of why you would want to do that um, and, and how you would do it and how you would pick the stocks and how you'd maintain those investments. I, I, it's just a really nicely made book. Oh, nicely written book so far. Um, as I say, I haven't finished it yet, but it's what I've read so far has been excellent. It sort of reminds me that uh, I know I've mentioned it to Tim a couple of times, but it's the sort of book that I I know Tim's written a book already, but I'd love him to write an investing book. And I think 
an investing book by Tim would be superb. So I'm, I'm hoping, like, by saying it, uh, you know, at, you know, out in public, that perhaps it'll encourage him to do it. But um, but it just goes to show that although you know there are many investment books out there, um, there there is always room for another one, and and everybody has a slightly different take and a different way of of approaching the same problem. Yeah, it's funny, guys. I don't know if you guys ever read Good to Great. Uh, no, no, I haven't read that. It's uh, it's a book by James Collins, and it and it and it talks about what makes companies great, and being good is not enough, and and how do you sustain it, and how do you make it last 10, 15, 20 years, and and core principles behind companies that become great, and you see commonality across companies that tend to, um, you know, hit that category of being considered great. It's a it's a good read, and it made me think about that only when you said. Only the best will do. It, it it sounds very similar. He was attempting to try to figure out, you know, what makes companies great and how do you repeat that. But um, anyway, it was a, it was a good book. If you haven't read it, brilliant. Well, we'll, if, we'll put those in the show notes. Um, so, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, Ken, how would they do that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, my, my email address is kenneth.lewis at atmex apmex dot com, um, and uh, they can also go online and uh, any you know anyone can get a hold of me if you contact our company, obviously. So, um, you know, we're a two hundred twenty person company, but we act like we're a five person company. We really try to be a family, and, and people can get a hold of anybody if they want if they want would like to reach out. And do you do Twitter, or do you stay away from that? You know, I do not today. We have a Twitter account for One Gold, and we have a Twitter account for Atmex. We've actually invested heavily into uh, social media. But me personally, frankly, guys, the podcast circuit for me is new. Uh, it's not something I've done a lot of, and uh, I, need to, I need as I get more comfortable. Maybe I'll I'll make that big next step of uh, getting out on social media, putting myself out there. But I haven't done it quite yet. Right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we look forward to having you back. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for the time. Brilliant. Thank Thank, you, Ken. Thanks, Ken. Take care. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you once again for listening. We really do appreciate it. And for all your Twitter feedback and your feedback on our podcast providers, it makes a big difference. So thank you once again. We will be doing an Ask Tim and Ask Paul questions very, very soon. So keep those questions coming. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.